Hey everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. So we've been talking about the gift that is for you. Over the last few weeks, we've just been sharing some things about how forgiveness from the gift of Jesus, forgiveness is, is for you. Favor, being highly favored, even circumstances or experiences tell us otherwise, you're highly favored. If you're a child of God, you're highly, highly favored. And, and when you're a child of God, the gift for you that came for you Christmas morning was the fact that you are fearless. You should be fearless. And the only one, the only thing that our fear should be directed to is, the, is to the Almighty God and who he is and who he claims to be and who he says he is and what he's done for every single one of us. And so the gift for you was started with the, uh, Luke who wrote an account of the story of Jesus. And Luke was, we've been following along, Luke was a historian. Many historians say that Luke was a top-notch historian. He, Luke didn't set out to be a historian. He just was writing the experiences that he had and the accounts and the people that he spent time with. He investigated, he interviewed, he, he went to as many people as he could who were, what he says were eyewitnesses uh, to the account of Jesus, people who saw. They didn't, it wasn't just something that happened thousands of years ago. It was something that happened for them current time, and they were just talking with, and, and Luke was interviewing people that were, was with Jesus and spent time with Jesus. And so he was a historian in that way. And Luke did what Jesus came to do, and that was, he was a theologian. That was just, he just wanted to explain God. He wanted to explain what God was like. And so Luke wrote his, his account just to explain what Jesus was like, and therefore what Jesus is like was what God is like, because Jesus is God incarnate. And Luke was just like a run-of-the-mill ordinary guy. He was a physician. He was a doctor. He, was, he, was a, he would accompany Paul and Paul's trips and missionary journeys, and, and the Apostle Paul described Luke as his beloved physician, and, and Paul certainly had some health issues and some ailments and some circumstances that happened in his life where he needed a doctor, and Luke was commonly there with him to help him along. Luke didn't write his letter um, for all the world to read it. Um, that wasn't really what he set out to do, even though God used an ordinary guy to do an extraordinary thing. That wasn't Luke's purpose. Luke's purpose in writing this letter to was, was specifically for, to this guy that he calls Theophilus. The name Theophilus means friend of God, friend of God. And Luke describes him as most excellent, most excellent. That's the, how Luke describes him. And the reason why Luke described him that way was probably because, and we don't really know a lot about Theophilus, was probably because he was a high-ranking Roman official or a high rank in the Roman government, which is why Luke calls Theophilus the most excellent Theophilus. And because many uh, different uh, perspectives or, or understandings of who Theophilus was, um, lots of different speculations, the most plausible ex uh, speculation of Theophilus was is that Theophilus, before he was named friend of God, his name prior to that was King Herod Agrippa II. King Herod Agrippa II, and uh, he was a Jewish king who uh, was under the authority of Rome. And Paul, in Acts 26, which, by the way, Luke wrote the book of Acts as well to Theophilus, Paul was stood on trial before King Agrippa II, 
and, and shared his story, shared his, his testimony of what Jesus did for, for the Apostle Paul uh, personally. And the Apostle Paul, he was describing how he was hostile towards the things of God, hostile towards the church of God, hostile towards the things of Jesus. But then he met Jesus, he saw Jesus, and he radically changed his life. And he went from Saul of Tarsus to Paul, the great missionary and starters of, of hundreds and hundreds of, of churches. And so Paul is before this trial, and he's sharing the story to King Agrippa II. And King Agrippa II makes a statement, which is interesting. He said this. He goes, he goes, Paul, in a short time, in a short time, you almost made me a Christian. In a short time, you almost converted me to be a Christ follower. And so Paul, while he was in Jerusalem on trial before King Agrippa II, he probably went back to Luke and said, hey, I, I stood trial before the king, and he told me in a short time I almost convinced him to be a Christian. What's a plausible explanation if Luke decided, hey, I'm going to then write a long letter of explanation of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for people, what Jesus did for Paul, and what Jesus did for me, and I'm going to write this long letter, and he wrote out all of what we now know as the Gospel of Luke and what we know as the Book of Acts. He wrote out these two long letters to probably, we know Theophilus, who was probably King Herod Agrippa II so that in a long explanation, he can proclaim to him the good news of great joy for all people, including Theophilus. But he wrote it for one guy, but the whole world he knows about the story of Jesus. Isn't it interesting? Sometimes um, behind uh, a gift, what's, what's almost as good as the gift is the story behind it. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you get a gift and then you hear about what all took place when you got that gift, the story behind the gift. You know, you hear things like, you know, what I, what I had to do to sneak this into the house, you know, uh, what I had to do to go to run to that store. And, you know, I told you that I was going this place, but then I went that place. And, you know, what I had to do to hide it in my cart and I put coats over it so that you wouldn't see. And then I told you to go to the car or told you to wait over there. And sometimes we like, my, I know my kids do, they like to hear the story behind the gift. Well, Luke is simply giving the story behind the gift. And it's almost as good as the gift itself. But Luke says, I want you to know the story. And so Luke begins writing. He tells uh, Theophilus this, and he's telling the world this. He says, while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. Well, where were they? They were in Bethlehem. Census went out. You know the story. Census went out. Caesar Augustus, all the world would be taxed. Everybody had to go to their hometown. And so Joseph was from the lineage of, the, of David. And so he had to go to the hometown of King David, which was a city of Bethlehem. You know the story. And so they travel 90 miles, 90 miles from where they were in Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem, 90 miles. Can you imagine having to travel 90 miles on a donkey, nine months pregnant? Does this sound horrible or what? It sounds absolutely horrible. I'm, I know uh, just from my wife, when she was nine months pregnant, she didn't want to go anywhere or do anything, let alone get on a donkey and travel 90 miles to Bethlehem because of some census from, from Caesar Augustus. And so they are there now, and I don't know what they're thinking. Maybe they're thinking, we'll get there, we'll get counted in the census, and then we'll travel back home, and we can have 
we could have the baby Jesus there at home. Maybe that's what they're thinking. Well, that certainly didn't work out that way. And so they're in Bethlehem while they were there. The days were completed. And it says that she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him in clothes because that's what mothers did and laid him in a manger. Now, Luke, he's writing this account down. Luke is probably having an actual face-to-face conversation with Mary. While the Apostle Paul was in Jerusalem, standing before King Agrippa II, he's now in that area, and he's probably having interviews and, and conversations with people who are eyewitnesses, and Luke is as getting his story for Theophilus from Mary herself. And she's probably telling him, yeah, we got there and the days were completed and I had to give birth in Bethlehem and, and it was the firstborn son and, and I wrapped him in clothes and I laid him in a manger and Luke's probably going, wait a minute, what? You laid him in a what? Yeah, I laid him in a manger. What, why in a manger? A manger is like a food trough. Why would you lay a baby in a food trough, let alone the son of God in a food trough? Why would you put, there is no place for a baby, let alone that is no place for God's only son. Why would you do that? And she said, well, because there was no room for them in the inn. Are you kidding me? You mean you show up to Bethlehem, you, you get there, you're nine months pregnant, you're getting ready to have this child, and you get there and you go up to an inn and some innkeeper has the audacity to tell you, Mary, that you, there's no room for you? She said, yeah, and probably the innkeeper is up in heaven, you know, over the last couple thousand years going, I didn't know. I didn't know. If I would have known that Mary was carrying God's son, I would have let her in. I would have found a room. I would have given her my room. But I didn't know. And she says, yeah, it's just no room for us. And so we had to go into a cave where they parked their animals because everybody was in town for the census. So all the inns filled up. And wherever people put their animals for how they traveled into town, that's where we had to go and we had to stay. And that's where I had to deliver Jesus because there was no room for us in the end. It goes from bad to worse. Joseph gets word that King Herod hears that the king of the Jews has been born in Bethlehem. And so King Herod, out of his rage and his jealousy and his, and his desire to keep his, his throne and his legacy alive because when he's not going to be king, his son's going to be king. And when his son's not king, his son's going to be king. And when his son's not king, his son's going to be king. And I'm not going to let any rogue person become king because they're saying that the king of the Jews is born in Bethlehem. So King Herod out of his rage, and and, and because of his authority, he orders the death of all male children in and around Bethlehem under the age of two. Joseph hears word of this, and it says in Matthew 2.14, so Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night, and he left for Egypt. I mean, a census, are you kidding me? Now we got to go 90 miles to Bethlehem 
And then we get to Bethlehem, and there's no room, and I have to have this child in this cave, and I have to lay this, my child into this food trough, and then, and then there's a, a, an order for all the children, male children under the age of two, to be murdered. And so now we've got to go. We can't even go back home, which I wanted to get home and have this child there. But instead, I've now got to go to Egypt. Well, how do they fund that trip? Well, the, how they were able to fund that trip was simple. There was some wise men that showed up, and they had some gifts for the newborn king that they recognize as the newborn king, and they gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know how Mary and Joseph were able to fund that trip to Egypt to hide there for a short time? It was because of those wise men that gave those gifts. The providential hand of God behind it all. Even when things don't go the way you want them to go, even when things don't always make sense, even when you're not able to connect one dot to another, even when circumstances happen in your life that you can't wrap your mind around, even when you don't even know what your future holds, here's what you need to know. There is a providential God who is in charge of everything. And so they go to Egypt, and he says that he remained there. Look at look at Matthew says next. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was, Matthew writes, this was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And here's what the prophet would say. Out of Egypt I called my son. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, prophets were saying, he is going to come out of Egypt. There is a purpose behind everything. There is a plan of God behind all things. When it doesn't make sense to you, it makes sense to God. When you can't wrap your mind around it, God's got it under control. He is the providential God that is orchestrating all of it. So they were in Egypt. We don't know how long they were in Egypt, but they were in Egypt, and they finally hear that King Herod is dead, and they now think it's time to go home. And it says this in verse 23, and he came and lived in a city called Nazareth. By the way, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. He should be called a Nazarene. So prophets are saying he needs to come out of Egypt. They said that hundreds of years prior to this. Uh, prophets are saying that he's a, a Nazarene, and they were saying that hundreds of years prior to this. This is all just the part of the purposes and the plan of God. When we think that God isn't up to something, he's doing everything. When we don't know the reasons why things happen, God always has a purpose in mind. And Nazareth isn't like the most popular of places. As a matter of fact, Nazareth was like, had a terrible reputation. Terrible reputation. We know that because it, later on, John writes, and Philip found Nathanael and said to him, hey, we found him. We found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote. We, we found the, the one that hundreds of years prior to you know, him being born, that they were saying that to look for this and to look for that and look for somebody to do this and look for somebody to do that. And, and he's fulfilled all of it. He's, he's fulfilled the Moses and the laws and the prophets. He's fulfilled it all. And he is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. 
And Philip's telling Nathaniel this. And he's like, hey, hey, we found him, we found him, we found him. They wrote about it. They wrote about it. They wrote about it. We found him, we found him. Look what Nathaniel's response is. Nathaniel said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? What a diss. Like, how insulting. Like, you're, you're just like, these are my people, and you're just like destroying and trashing my people. And Nathaniel's like, what, from Nazareth? Really? That's no place to live. There's no place to have permanent residence there. Nazareth? And Philip's response is the best response, and it should be the response anybody that questions your faith or questions Jesus. And here's what his response is. Come and see. I know, I know, there's a lot of things you don't get. I know, there's a lot of things you can't wrap your mind around. Yeah, I know, there's a lot of questions that you have about God and, and how God works in this world and is there purpose, is there a plan, is there somebody providentially in charge of all this in, in spite of all the experiences that I have, but let's just, 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 just do this. I know, I, I don't know how to answer them all. I don't know how to give you all the answers that you need, but this is what I want you to do. I just want you to come and see him for yourself. That, that's your response, and that's mine. You just come and see him for you. I want you to come, and I want you to give Jesus a chance. I can't answer all your questions, but you just need to come and see. I don't know why he would come out of Nazareth, but you just need to come and see for yourself. That was his response. And John wrote the, the birth of Jesus, and he wrote it in this way. And he wrote what he saw. Look what, he, look what John says. And the word became flesh... How did the word become flesh? Through a virgin birth. How did the word become flesh? Through the birth of a virgin named Mary. And dwelt among us. Now that word dwelt is interesting. That word dwelt means tent. Tent. Now when I look at a tent, here's what I, here's what I recognize. When I look at a tent, here's what, I, here's what I, I think. This is just a temporary dwelling. A temporary dwelling. No one, especially in Michigan winters, would want to permanently live in this. True? If you go camping, you might take your tent to the campground, but you're going to only get to be there for a few days, because, and eventually you're going to go home to your permanent residence, right? This is what G John describes of what Jesus was. He was the he was the tent. He, was a, he dwelt with us. And so what John is describing to Jesus saying, the tent is a temporary dwelling to see the fullness of his grace and truth. That the tent was, go, can you go back to, to John 1.14, Neva? He says, that, he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He pitched his tent, his temporary dwellings among us, and we saw his glory. The glory is the only begotten from the Father, and he was full of grace and truth. So when John's saying this, and what Philip meant by telling Nathaniel this was this, you need to come and see him, because what you'll see is that you'll see somebody that was full of grace and truth. I mean, I mean I'm telling you, 
Anybody that came his way, no matter what their past was, no matter what their struggles were, no matter how checkered it was, no matter how difficult it was, no matter how different they were than him, he just showed grace. I mean, he forgave everybody. People were caught in their sin and brought before, them, before him, and he would look at them with just compassion in his eyes and say, I no longer condemn you. Go and sin no more. You are forgiven. That's grace. They didn't deserve it. They didn't earn it, and neither did you, but he showed grace to every single one of us. He was full of it, full of grace, and he was full of truth, and he would tell people the truth. He would say, hey, 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 you know what the truth is? The truth is, don't store up your treasures here on earth. Don't make this place your comfort place. Don't settle too much into this place. Store, he says, store your treasures up in heaven. That's where you store your treasures. Not here. This is temporary. Not here. This isn't permanent. Not here. This is, this is short term. Store up your treasures where you're going to be forever. That's what his message was of truth. You know what else he told them? He says, guys, you know how like a tent is just temporary? I'm going to be here just temporarily and eventually I'm going home and these guys didn't understand that his, his disciples they didn't understand that and they're going wait a minute you're leaving like you haven't been here long I know I'm just temporary like a tent it's just temporary my dwelling is temporary here no you're leaving you're going to leave us what are we going to do next what do we do next oh you'll figure it out no 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 you're going and you know what happened it says their heart their heart became troubled. Their heart became troubled. And Jesus responds to his disciples in this way. Hey, guys, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Why shouldn't their hearts be troubled? He's telling them that he's leaving. He's telling them that he's not going to no longer be with them. Why? Because it's just temporary. It's just temporary. He says, guys, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then this is what he says. So important. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I would, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And then he says, he tells them, I, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And then he says, and you know the way where I'm going. And at this point, the, the, the disciples are going, do you know the way? I don't know the way. Do you know the way? I don't know the way. What, how, he never talked about, like, the way. He didn't give us, like, a map, or he didn't even teach us or give us, like, point us in the right. Like, he just, what, what's the way? And, 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 it, and it brought Thomas to the point where Thomas said, look, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know. We do not know where we're going. Or how do we know the way? Like honesty, right? Like we don't, Lord, you're saying you're leaving. And you're not giving us like how to get to where you're going. You're saying that you've gone and prepared a place for us. 
But you're not really saying how do we get there, how do we know the way. And then Jesus' response, this is so important. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. You see, Jesus didn't teach the way or point the way. He is the way. He is the way. You know why there was so much unsettled, temporary, from leaving Nazareth and having to travel down to Bethlehem and then getting to Bethlehem and, and there was no room for them in the inn and so they had to go into this cave where, where all the other animals were and, and they, she had the baby in the cave and she placed him in a, in a place where no baby should be placed in this, in this manger. And then they hear word that there's going to be a children murdered and they have to flee out of Bethlehem to head down to Egypt and then they stay there temporarily and then they leave Egypt and then they come back to Nazareth but nobody really respects anyone coming out of Nazareth. And then even Jesus would say things in his time on earth and say, you know, you know, foxes have holes and and birds of the ears have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Why? Why? You see, here's why. A manger is no place of comfort for the Christ. We know that. The world is no place of comfort for the Christ followers. If we're trying to find our hope and joy and peace here, we're looking to the wrong places. If you feel unsettled just like Jesus and his family felt unsettled, it's because you're made for something more. You know what Solomon wrote? Here's what Solomon wrote, and this is true for everybody. True for everybody, whether you believe it or not, whether you like it or not. That God has set eternity in the hearts of every single person. You know why this world feels so unsettling to you? And you know why you don't feel that heavenly peace and that comfort and joy here? Because you're made for another place. Just like the manger was no place of comfort for Jesus, this world if you try to find your comfort here, you'll never, ever find it. Because God placed in you a void and a vacuum that never will be satisfied by anything other than Jesus. That's truth. It's truth. The inn had no room for Jesus because he came down to earth to make room for you in eternity. He didn't come to this earth going, make me room here. I'm king of kings and lord of lords. This is my earth. I created it. You make a dwelling place for me. He, he, he deserves that. He's earned that. And by the way, he's coming again and will claim that. He's coming again and he will claim that. 
The government will be on his shoulders. His authority and kingdom will reign forever. And we will call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. That day is still coming. He's coming again, everybody. But this time, there was no room for Jesus because he didn't come down to make room for himself. He came down to make room for you where he is. I don't know about you, that's probably what the angels were meant by when they said, hey, I've got good news of great joy for all people. For that day, in the city of David, in a little town of Bethlehem, there was born for you a Savior. He is Christ the Lord. His name is Jesus, and he's worthy of our praise. So fix our eyes on Jesus. The Hebrew writer tells us, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. In other words, he's the start of this faith and he's the perfecter of this faith. He did it perfectly. He authored it. Who, look what it says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross in despising the shame. Wait, how could he have joy set before him, then it says he endured the cross. How do you have joy set before him and then he endured the cross and, he, and how was he able to despise the shame but still have a joy? Here's why. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's why. The reason why in this time, in this temporary residence that he took here in the tent that he pitched among us temporary dwelling place he had a journey in mind he had a goal in mind and that was to endure the cross for your sins and my sins and he was able to despise that shame for the joy that was set before him to sit at the right hand of the throne of God forever where you and I are invited to join. You and I are invited to be a part of. You and I are invited to come to be with him on that throne. That's Christmas. That's Christmas. Now, if I was a Hebrew writer, which I wasn't, understandably so, I would have included in that verse things like, he was placed in a borrowed tomb. He didn't even have his own tomb. But then on the third day, he rose from the grave. And after he rose from the grave, he appeared to women, men, and even hundreds of people all at one time. With one message, go, tell everyone, he came for you. He's the way to the Father in heaven. He's the only way to the Father in heaven. He came for you in order for you to have forever with him and for those who put their faith in him. He came for you. So, all those that are faithful in this room, let's stand together and let's adore him. What do you say?
Because he came for you in order for you to have eternal life, in order for you to have forever with him. And not only for you, but for all of those, all of those loved ones, all of those coworkers, all of those neighbors, all of those friends and family that put their faith in him. Eternity is a gift for all of us. For you this Christmas, he's offered forgiveness. For you this Christmas, he's offered fearlessness. For you this Christmas, he's offered favor. And for you this Christmas, he's offered you, you, a place in forever. What a place. Let's sing as we close. This might be acoustic only. give you all the glory. Eventually, one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. And I pray, Lord, for those that are watching online or in the room, I pray, Lord, that if they've never bent a knee and adored you and proclaimed you as their King and Lord of their life, I pray that they do that. Then they can know without a doubt that there's a place prepared for them where you are. And our place 
will never be fulfilling or satisfying and will never really find purpose in this world and in this life, only in the life to come. We thank you for extending forever to every single one of us in a place that we can call home when we leave this earth. I pray you bless each one, give them a great Christmas, Merry Christmas, and a Happy New Year to everyone here. In Jesus' name, amen.